We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast. We look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking MLS Cup and Ronaldo and the good nurse and U.S. Men's National Team backline preview, U.S. Men's National Team injury crisis, question mark, Leeds America, Liga MX ticket prices, Messi, NWSL, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, October 31st in the year 2022. Ooh, Halloween. I am doing very well, although it was a, it's been a quiet Halloween weekend for me. I no longer go trick-or-treating. Nobody came to my place, so. Well, they wouldn't come to your place yet because we're recording this on Monday. Tonight is Halloween. Oh, tonight is Halloween. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> should we, should, well, although there were people out and about in costumes this well, weekend. Well, it was the weekend, and so the Halloween parties were this weekend. Uh, so, yes, people were out and, uh, and, and about at the parties. But the official Halloween in which, you know, the kids will be coming to your door will be tonight. And God forbid you're a, a Grinch or, or anything like that. I'm mixing holidays there. I haven't bought any candy yet, so I've. Apparently need to rush go, out and do that. Go If you were to buy some, and I'm going to make sure that you do for, for everyone that's listening, what, what, are you, uh, what are you getting? What would you give out? Is yeah, it, Hershey Kisses. Those seem to be popular, right? They are, but you better buy enough of them. You're not going to be that guy that gives out one Hershey, Hershey Kiss, right? I no, don't know. I, no. haven't, I haven't thought about it. Okay, well, you should think about it because, you know, you don't want to be that dark house, bah humbug type of person in the... Uh, in the neighborhood. When we get done with this, I will be going and I will give you getting some candy and, uh, you know, some, you know, stuff to put outside the door to indicate that, yes, we are participating in the festivities. You don't have to participate, but, you know, if you want to be a stick in the mud, that's uh, that's fine. Uh, do you remember back in the day when you, you don't still go trick-or-treating, I'm, I'm assuming, but back in the day, what you used to dress up as? Zorro. Really? For several years there. Just because I, I bought it one year and, and, easy, and, and it was easy uh, and then I was too lazy in subsequent years to do anything else. So it just became my go-to. My mom has a uh, 
a book full of pictures of her with people dressed up as me. And she's gotten them over, over the years, and it's a, there's a lot of pictures of people. And usually it happens at games and stuff like that. But inevitably, when it comes to Halloween, people will send me or her pictures of them dressed up as the 94 version. Because it, it's actually it's easy because you can get a red wig and you can do the uh, red goatee. And if you got yourself a, a denim or a faux denim, uh, Jersey from that, you can, uh, you can do that. So, um, I will be handing out candy and I'll be handing as much as I possibly can. Cause we don't get a lot of trick or treaters, but the ones that come, they get treated very, very nicely. All right. Well, if, uh, like I said, we're recording this on Monday, so I hope everybody's having an enjoyable Halloween weekend. And then obviously Halloween, uh, night tonight, be good, be, be, be careful. Um, and, and be kind. Um, did you watch anything, my friend? You know, this was the first weekend in which my impending trip to Qatar started to affect my television choices Ooh. because uh, season two of The White Lotus got underway on HBO. And normally I would have been all over that, but I'm going to hold off because uh, I don't want to get interrupted. And so I'm going to wait to binge it when I get back. Also, a new season of The Crown is about to come out on Netflix. And I think similarly, I'm going to hold off on that as well. So I think we've reached that point of, where, you know, stopping watching any new television. And you're anticipating that your workload is going to be such that you couldn't start it. So you don't want to kind of, I guess, break the seal, if you will, and spoil it and cut it off where you watch half of now and then half when you get back. I have come to this terrible realization that Andor, which I'm quite invested in, it's not going to be over before I mm -hmm. leave. There's still going to be two episodes left. So I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that. But Oh boy. Uh, I watched uh, The Good Nurse. It's a, it's new, I think, on Netflix. It came out uh, this year. It's a crime drama starring uh, Jessica Chastain. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it, but you will have seen this guy in a bunch of stuff. Uh, Eddie Redmayne? Redmine? Anyway, sure, yeah. Is that right? Uh, both very, very good, uh, interesting, uh, interesting movie. Uh, and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it uh, thoroughly. Could have been better, but, you know, I give it a yeah, seven and a half, which is quality at this point when it comes to a night of viewing on uh, on Netflix or any other uh, streaming platform out there. Um, all right, ready to light the scandal? Let's do it. All right, we're going to uh, start out with a bunch of different things uh, here. And um, we wanted to take the first segment to go right to the national team. We are, as I, as I said, are recording on Monday and Monday the uh, 31st. Three weeks from today, Mossy, the United States takes on Wales. Less than three weeks now, the actual World Cup starts. So as you mentioned, it is upon us, and it is more and more pressing and therefore more and more interesting as to what is happening. And injuries, uh, not just for the U.S. team, but for all teams right now, and for every player that has the poten potential to be on that plane to Qatar, are a big thing. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but it's it's fascinating to see the wheels starting to spin on players right now and the injuries, and I'm using the quotations if you're not watching the show here, um, the injuries that are happening right now so close to the World Cup and what would not be considered an injury and require time away from the game in, I guess, normal circumstances being so close to the World Cup right now, I think it is, it's not amazing. Uh, it's, it's actually not even surprising that we are seeing more and more of these little injuries that in normal circumstances, it just kind of play through being taken much more seriously right now. So where should we start? Let's go uh, from a U.S. perspective right now. Well, 
the, we're going to focus on defenders and fullbacks today in terms of our positional breakdown, but we do want to go through yes. uh, all the different injuries that, that are causing some consternation among the U.S. fan base. Weston McKinney. And, and a reminder, just before you get to it, uh, uh, November 9th, uh, the United States Soccer Federation will be dropping the roster. Okay. Now, there can be changes after that, but that's going to be basically the uh, the 26. And as you'll, as you'll mention here, Mossy, I think some of these players are going to be in real question whether they are going to be on that 26. Uh, Weston McKinney battling a thigh problem. Luca De La Torre out with a muscle tear. Matt Turner, groin injury, which caused him to miss Arsenal's last Europa League game, which is a shame because those are the few chances yep. he gets to play. Josh Sargent, sideline as well with a calf problem. And... And this one pertains to the conversation we're about to have about center backs. Chris Richards, still not back yet for Crystal Palace. Uh, they expect him to resume uh, training with the rest of the team in the next seven to 10 days. Um, but yeah, none of these guys are out for the World Cup, but the timetable is such that it's making people nervous. It's cutting it a little close. And look, we're not doctors. And as you know, Mossy, in this world, in this age, the information that we get publicly from these clubs or these, you know, uh, press officers and or the players themselves doesn't always match up with what the realities are behind the scenes. It could be better. It could be worse. And sometimes it is actually the truth as to what's going on. But we can only go with what they have given us. I do think that not all of these are created equally. Uh, Chris Richards, I think, is the most concerning relative to the national team because what we're about to talk about when it comes to the back line and that he hasn't played in so long. This is obviously a serious injury. This isn't this isn't him holding back in order to be ready for the World Cup. Uh, this isn't his team, you know, just being really, really uh, cautious about him. This is obviously something that has set him back and from a physical perspective has inhibited his ability to uh, actually perform. Um, when it comes to Weston McKinney, look, we know that this is a year where he has suffered some major injuries. I don't think that this injury is going to preclude him from going to the World Cup, let alone playing in the World Cup. We know that he will run through a wall. And this smells to me like a player preparing for the World Cup. And look, again, I go back to Jurgen Klopp, all right? Loves to scream and yell about all the games and all the wear and tear on the players. So maybe, is this the worst thing in the world for a Weston McKinney to be out uh, leading up to the World Cup where he can rest his body and mind and be fresh come that World Cup? Maybe that's a glass half full type of look uh, at this type of situation. Luca Della Torre is a little more concerning. Three weeks out, uh, and obviously that is a major problem. And a a muscle tear, uh, yeah, that's 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 worrisome. Even that they would put that out that it is an actual tear of the muscle. And look, they're young; they heal quickly. But but you you never know. Matt Turner, uh, groin injuries are 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 weird. You know, they're kind of like a, a toe injury where you never really realize how much you use it in everything that you do until you actually tweak it. Uh, and we hope that it's just a, just a tweak here. But to your point, that he's getting fewer games when he was already getting few games, that's not a great type of situation. Uh, Josh Sargent, you know, a calf injury. And in the back of all these players' minds are, yeah, this is an injury, but do I take this injury and I make it worse and therefore really set myself back and possibly not miss the World Cup? So shall we transition to our positional breakdown today? Wait, you want to do you have anything to say about injuries? Do you think that people are sandbagging right now relative to the World Cup? Absolutely. One case that's getting a lot of attention in Spain, and we'll talk about Barcelona later on the podcast, is Memphis Depay. Uh, he had an injury. He was out for a while. And as far as Barcelona are concerned, 
he's fine and should be back playing and yet he's holding off and saying he doesn't feel quite fine yet and and now the Barcelona media is just straight up accusing him of not wanting to get re-injured and and, <laughs> and he's already yeah, in yeah, world cup mode th there you know there's an accusation where i can get behind what's being accused not just the fact of it but being angry about that look you are paid and in many cases we're talking about players that are paid a ridiculous amount of money i don't begrudge them that and they're not doing their job in any other work environment <laughs> you would be severely reprimanded and or fired for not actually doing the job that is paying uh, paying you the money because you are because you're looking for however you have a world cup in december or november and december and a week before the World Cup starts, you are you are playing a club, which is unlike anything else we forward. There's usually two or three weeks where they can bake that into getting into the fullest of health and form. Then this is going to happen. So as much as I can grumpy man this, this type of behavior, I get it. I understand. And again, the World Cup, I can't impress upon folks enough what this means to players, regardless of their status, regardless of how much money, regardless of how famous, regardless of where they're playing or what they have done in the past, the opportunity to rep your, represent your country in a World Cup, even in this unique circumstance of this World Cup, they are not going to do anything that is going to jeopardize that, including pissing off their teammates, club teammates, their club coach, and or the fans that they, that they play for. It is too important and too valuable. All right, yes, let's go into uh, the back line, the final of our... Uh, well, wait, we're going to do... Are we going to do uh, goalkeepers uh, at some point, too, in the future? All right, we'll do the goalkeepers uh, in the future here, but this is the defensive version of uh, our, ba our, uh, our preview of uh, national team players. Right, so as we mentioned, you have Chris Richards, who, by the way, wasn't playing that much even when he was healthy. He's played a total of 45 minutes of Premier League football this season, so I would argue that move to Palace has been a disaster. I mean, we're forcing uh, it at this point, right, Mossy, when, when it comes to Chris Richards? I know that people looked at him as the, the hope and the belief that he was going to come good, but for this cycle right now, I just feel like we're going to put him and therefore the U.S. team in a position that is, a, that is problematic just by throwing him in. Yeah, th there has been this feeling that uh, deep down he's who Greg Berhalter would like to be starting alongside Walker Zimmerman. But but to your point, uh, th those chances might be running out, and it might test so, my formist fallacy, uh, right. uh, you know, uh, call. So. so so that leaves Zimmerman and Long as the presumed starters if the World Cup started uh, tomorrow. And with them, you have this issue of their inactivity because their teams got knocked out early in the MLS playoffs. And in Long's case, a bad window. Yep. Just his form in general has yep. been poor, and so a lot and, of people and are not and will not have played a game for a month. Right, you know, right. Having bombed out of the playoffs. Yeah. So some of the other options: uh, Cameron Carter Vickers, who is playing regularly for Celtic; Eric Palmer Brown, playing regularly for Tra in Ligue 1. <laughs> you have Mark McKenzie playing for Genk, and then. Uh, we have to bring him up. Tim Ream, there still is this sentiment. People watching what he's doing week in, week out for Fulham, they can't believe that he's not going to go to Qatar. So I think those are the players we're looking at in that center back spot. So how do you see it right now? I mean, I still see Walkerman and Long. Um, I still see Greg Berhalter when he is assessing the situation. Whether you agree with it or not, I think he takes into account the totality of the experience that he has had with a player. And and not just what that player is doing in the moment. I'm not saying that form, you know, and I, I have my thoughts about form, isn't part of the assessment. And a player playing well in the, more, in the moment can give that player the advantage going forward. But 
if if there were other players, first off, a lot of these players that we're talking about, when you you know, uh, Air Palmer Brown and CCV and and McKenzie and stuff like that, we have seen them with the national team, okay? And it's not as if they've lit it up. And I'm not saying that Aaron Long has either, but I just think that when it comes down to it, and I'm not I'm not saying I even uh, agree with it, and all of these players, including Tim Ream, Tim Ream has his has his positives and negatives just like just like everybody else. I just think ultimately un- unless there was somebody that was so good and and to your point I think that they thought Chris Richards was going to be that player that when he started playing consistently was going to be just so far and away better than anybody else that there wasn't even going to be a question as to whether he was going to start for this team. But since that hasn't happened and nobody else has really shown through the cycle that they have been great under Greg uh, Greg Berhalter and just grabbed that position after uh, Miles Robinson went down and said, "This is mine." That you know, just pick one and and go for it. Uh, the position is in so much flux right now that I, Grant Wall recently even tweeted, "Are we sure Miles Robinson is definitely out? Is there any <laughs> chance for him?" <laughs> People are still holding out hope for that. It is a pity. I mean, because that that tandem of him and Zimmerman. And what the way they were yin and yang to each other, it would have been really, really nice to see. And there's nobody that's even come close to Miles Robinson in any of these players that we are talking about right now. So I assume he takes four to the World yeah, Cup. So, so who would the four be? Geez. All right. So, yeah, I mean, Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman. And then it's between, because I, I mean, as much as people may want to see Tim Ream, I just, I don't see it happening. Um, for the reasons that we've talked about, it's not, he's not a good player. It's just Greg Berhalter feels that those those challenges, especially physically and over the top and playing a high line and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be Vickers and I think he likes McKenzie. So between Air Palmer Brown, I'll go with Air Palmer Brown. So you're ruling out Richards at this point? I mean, yeah, if he's he's not playing and now he's still... No, you're probably right. You're probably right. I, I oh, he's gonna he's gonna take him and just you, you think he's gonna take Richards over Eric yeah, Palmer Brown? Or, again, or we Hart. we can caveat it because it's a medical situation we're not uh, fully informed on. But let's say they check in on him in seven to ten days whenever they go to announce a squad, and he feels like he might be fit enough to play at the World Cup. Then I think he would find a place for him. If he's still not even close at that point, then yeah, you can't. But take what him. does like fit to play in the World Cup mean? I mean, if he's if he's still ten days away from just training, right? It doesn't mean he's even going to play a game. So therefore, he will not have played a game for months on end and very very little time and a major injury that obviously has kept him off and yet i i think that greg berhalter i don't know why sees something in him that the others don't have and if there's even the slightest chance that chris richards can for 90 minutes be great in the way that he feels that he can be great he's going to put him on that plane yeah i think it's zimmerman long carter vickers and if richards uh is healthy enough richards if richards can't play then McKenzie gets that spot. Yeah. And but I'll just say I would take Tim Ream. I'm in that case. You would. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And not Eric Palmer Brown. Not Eric Palmer okay. Brown. So you think McKenzie's good. That is a good call. I think he does like uh, McKenzie. I <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious that it's not that he doesn't like him. I mean, he might like him very much. That from a Tim Ream perspective, that's I just don't think that's happening. All right. All right. At fullback, you have the presumed starters, Sergino Dest, who is starting to play a little bit more at AC Milan. Mm-hmm. He came on at the half of their loss to Torino 
this past weekend, played in the second half. Um, Anthony Robinson, who we know is doing very well for Fulham. So that's those are your starters at set, right set and left and back. Knock on wood, <laughs> they stay healthy. So we're talking about the backups then. You've got uh, DeAndre Yedlin, another one of these cases of a guy that got knocked out early in the MLS playoffs with Inter-Miami. Reggie Cannon, who's playing in Portugal with Boa Vista. Joe Scali playing regularly for Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga. And Sam Vines playing regularly for Antwerp in the Belgian League. So I think, realistically, those are the guys that you're looking at. Although, producer Sean Sullivan threw in Austin Trusty. He's obviously been impressed by his displays with Birmingham City in the championship. So Stop. <laughs> Stop. I mean, great, great goal and everything, but no, that's uh, that's not happening for Trusty. I, I think it's. I think it comes down to, you know, obviously Serginho Dest and Robinson, and we know that Serginho Dest can also play on that left hand side, and we've already seen that DeAndre Yedlin for sure. Um, and then, so then, it's going to come down to two of Reggie Cannon, Joe Scally, or Sam Vines. I think he likes. I, th- I think he liked Reggie Cannon. But I think it's going to be Joe Scally, and I think he's come back to Sam Vines. How about that? Do you think so? I, I Joe Scally and Sam Vines. What do you between those three? Who do you got? Reggie Cannon, Joe Scally, or Sam Vines? I think Scally makes it because of his versatility. He's also yep. a guy that can play on both sides. So wait, did you say Yedlin? Yeah, yeah. So so you think the four would be uh, Dest, Robinson, Yedlin, and Scally? Yes. And by the way, in a list of twenty six, this might be where one of those extra players comes yeah. from. Um, so yeah, in which case I think it would be like a Sam Vines over a Reggie Cannon. Yeah, I buy that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, you know, this, and again, this comes out November 9th and Greg Berhalter, I'm sure is in his laboratory right now with all of these names up there. And look, Greg Berhalter is a strong man, but don't think for a second that he's not human in that he doesn't hear all of the talk, whether it's from you, Mossy, or anybody else out there when it comes to Tim Ream. And he's watching Tim Ream play. But there was something over the last windows and in the recent past that has said to him, this is not somebody that we want. And he knew when he, when he started not making that decision there that he was going to come in for criticism right now. Again, this isn't the level of a Landon Donovan, but it, it sets you up for criticism when you have a player, whether it's perception uh, or reality. And in this case, it might just be perception, a player that is playing, playing consistently, captaining his team in the EPL and doing very, very well in that type of scenario that is not going to the World Cup. And it's completely fair and justified to ask why? And I think Greg Berhalter many times has said this is why. Whether it, whether it's a uh, you know a, a question when it comes to um, Tim Ream, or even in the past when it's come to to Joe Scally and stuff like that. And Joe Scally's worked his way back. But I I, I also wouldn't pa- put it past Greg Berhalter to to tweak us uh, in on November 9th with some surprise types of picks. Which would, which would be fun and good. It would make it that much more interesting uh, when it comes to that. And we will, again, have a show immediately, uh, taping a show immediately after. Uh, it will be live with myself, you, and our friend uh, Stu Holden, right? Is that, uh, is that the case? Correct. Yes. And, and Kat Donnelly producing that day. Yes, exactly. So you know it's going to be good. Uh, so we will uh, we'll do that. All right, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a real quick break. When we come back, we will round up all of the action on the field that occurred over uh, the last few days, and there was plenty of it. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, 
clarity, the calm. Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome back. All right, uh, let's uh, check out the uh, weekend's action. And there was all sorts of stuff going on, including the semifinals of Major League Soccer's uh, Road to MLS Cup. And we know now that LAFC will be hosting the Philadelphia Union. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, uh, LAFC versus Austin and Philly versus NYCFC. Where do you want to start? Let's begin in the West, okay. where LAFC notched an emphatic 3-0 win over Austin. Um, Arango with the first goal, heading in a Vela corner. I'm going to continue to sing this guy's praises. That's now 32 goals in MLS, including the playoffs, since his debut in August of 2021. Only Mukhtar has scored more. Um, it was 1-0 at the half somehow because LAFC should have been up a lot more. Stuber right. kept Austin in the game. LAFC outshot them 16-1 to in the first half. But the second goal finally came, another Vela corner, Uruti with an own goal. And then Opoku uh, added the exclamation point. So 3-0, LAFC finally reach MLS Cup. I continue <laughs> to be amused that we treat this franchise like they're the 2004 Red Sox, as right. if you know it's been this long way. It's only their... Well, you know. <laughs> it's, it's relative to the way that they entered the league, Mossy, with the glitz and the glamour and the sexiness and the, and the money and the stadium and the... Um, celebrity ownership and all of that kind of stuff. So this is this is what this not just this team, but this club was created for. And you can talk about Supporter Shield all you want, but the only thing that ultimately matters in Major League Soccer is winning MLS Cup and having that moment when the confetti comes down, the music plays, and you have that money shot holding up the uh, the MLS Cup. And LAFC is going to get their opportunity. Uh, this was comprehensive. From start to finish, I don't care what Austin says. And yes, the Austin faithful, this is an incredibly successful season. You should be incredibly proud of Josh Wolf and Claudia Reyna and, and all the players and all the work on and off the field that went into making it this successful for a very young, green, get it, team when it comes to Major League Soccer and a dramatic improvement from year to year. And we'll see if that can be sustained uh, going forward. But on the day, to your point, Mossy, there was only one team on the field. And I actually was a little disappointed in Austin as how, how well they played through the season and how well we have come to expect them to play. They picked the worst possible moment to play their worst possible game. There was one flashpoint, yep. I should say, at 2-0, second half, Fagunes taken down by Ibeaga in the box. Should have been a penalty. They reviewed it, somehow didn't give it. So even... Well, hold now on, hold on, hold on. Should have been a penalty in in what sense? Because it's not like anything was missed because of the age in which we live in. Referee made the call or didn't make the call, which is a call in and of itself, right? Is called over. And we know, I don't know, there's probably a percentage out there, but we're talking in, probably in the 90s of percentiles where you are called as a referee and said, hey, we think you missed something up here in VAR. You should go and check this at the monitor. 90 something percent, I don't know what it is, that usually results in the justification of VAR saying, hey, you missed something. But there's always with the caveat that ultimately it is the referee's decision on the field. And he or she may go over and see what those in the VAR are see, seeing and still uh, 
make the decision to go with what he or she decided in that moment. And in this case, that's exactly what happened. Referee looked at it, said, I hear what you're saying. I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm just, this is why I love to be able to hear what they are ultimately saying. I'm thinking he said, yep, I get what you're saying here, uh, but I'm going to look at it as it actually was more of a dive and you look at the second thing. Now, we can disagree. There is still a subjective nature to it, but I don't think anybody, including LAFC faithful, would have felt that it was the wrong call in that moment to point to the spot. And would it have changed the game? Yeah, it changes the dynamic dr dramatically. Two to one is very, very different. The only, you know, I, I am only consoled by the fact that it was so comprehensive from LAFC that this didn't change who the better team was on the day. And that the better team won in totality, I can I can accept that. And I understand that you can feel aggrieved if you are uh, Austin right now. And from a league perspective, it's not it's not a, a great look, but at least it didn't result in an inferior team gaining an advantage and going on. I mentioned it was Ibeaga taking down uh, Fagundes. He came on for a Chiellini at the half. Bale didn't play at all which again underlines this point we've been making. Um, LAFC were already the best team in the league and Bale and Kalini, for all the fanfare around those signings, they were a nice to have. They weren't a need. And in the end, those guys ended up being a non-factor. The signings that really made the difference for LAFC this season are the ones they made in the offseason. Crepeau, Ilya Sanchez, Acosta, Hollingshead, which for a franchise that's been all about glitz and glamour, it was getting a bunch of solid MLS veterans that I think gave this team a different feel this season and ultimately resulted in them being and, an MLS And Cup. credit to Steve Tarandolo and jo, uh, John Thorrington behind the scenes uh, for making the decisions. And even in that moment when there is pressure to play the big name stars, not playing them and being okay and still getting the results. You know, I did an appearance last week with, uh, uh, with Mr. Bale and... You know, he was very, very nice. And we talked about, you know, his situation. And he, you know, he said he had a problem and that he was, you know, getting ready to play. But it's been a long time since he has played right now. Now, he might just be preparing for the World Cup. But from a MLS perspective and an LAFC perspective, he is a complete non-factor at this point. Now, to your point, is he a nice to have? Yeah. And maybe he'll play a part in MLS Cup. Who, who knows? But they are still in my estimation, the best team in Major League Soccer without having him start, let alone play, and certainly without having Kalini, although he has started more and played, uh, played more. And I think it just shows, to your point, how well they have constructed uh, this team. All right, 3-0 for LAFC, and they get to host MLS Cup on Saturday. Uh, other semifinal. So then we go to the East. Uh Philadelphia hosted NYCFC, a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference Final, which NYCFC won against a highly depleted Philadelphia side that was minus 11 players due to health and safety protocols. This time around, they were virtually at full strength, although Alejandro Bodoya was their name only, and oh. he should not have been on that field. Uh, it was nil-nil at the half. NYCFC take the lead early in the second half. Maxi Morales with a wonderful strike. Then shortly thereafter, Andre Blake makes an incredible save on Collins to keep it at 1-0, which Jim Curtin said afterwards was the key moment in sure. the game for him. Yep. And then Philadelphia blitzed them with three goals. Uh, Carranza, Gazdag, and Corey Burke, who had come on. So Philadelphia take it 3-1. to one. Um, Listen, Philadelphia is the better team. 
But NYCFC have to really be kicking themselves because there was a moment there, the second half, where they had really settled in and it. were in control. Yep. And then they fell asleep on a set piece. They got caught making a substitution, a change that a lot of people are questioning, taking Pereira off in that moment for Parks. And then as Parks is running on the field, they're not quite ready. And give Glesnes credit, MLS Defender of the Year. Uh, he took it quickly and played a lovely through ball to Carranza, who scores. And that turned the game on its head a couple of minutes later. Carranza with a knockdown, Gazdag 2-1. And as I mentioned shortly thereafter, Corey Burke put the exclamation point. But yeah, NYCFC, I was texting with Ian Joy afterwards. He was very frustrated because he felt like this was one they let they, get away. Yeah, they, they absolutely let it get away. But credit to Philadelphia. And I, I love the first goal that ultimately got them back into the game. And then two minutes later, they score um, from that. But that first goal, the recognition in that moment from Glesnes to see that the opposition was out to lunch mentally. And we see this all the time. And coaches talk about it, but it's sometimes it's easier said than done on the field because you do take mental breaks. And in those lapses, there are moments of opportunity. And that Philadelphia recognized it and executed in that moment. I think it says a lot about this team coached under, uh, who I think is just a phenomenal coach in uh, in Jim Curtin, that they took advantage of that. We see it on throw-ins. We see it at different moments. And it's surprising that more teams don't try to take advantage of that, that lapse in concentration that happens when the ball goes out of bounds or when there is a stoppage in the game. And so I just, I loved that. And that was that's what kicked them on. And then look out. Like you said, they they came. That place was rocking last night. Both environments, by the way, in the semifinals were incredible in L.A. and uh, and Philadelphia. So ultimately, Philadelphia gets the win. Wonderful uh, comeback there. Pigeons, successful season. We all know about the trials and tribulations that they've had losing a coach and uh, losing uh, Tati up, up top and all that kind of stuff. But they they, they let one get away here. One final postscript on their season before we move on to MLS Cup. There was a first iteration of NYCFC that operated the way a stereotypical big market MLS franchise operates, signing David Villa, yep. Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo. Somewhere along the line, they pivoted to this approach of really feeling like a vessel in that city football group network. And it's much more now about signing younger South American players. And generally speaking, I like this approach better. I think it fits more with where MLS is yeah, at really? in 2022. Yeah, I don't. And it's been successful for them. They won MLS Cup last season. They were 25 minutes away from getting there again this season. So it's hard to knock it. But I will say, the way they handled the Castellanos departure this summer, that approach caught up with them a little bit. Because, you know, he wanted to go to Europe. They couldn't find anybody to meet their asking price. So they just moved them to another one of their clubs in Girona. He actually played against Real Madrid this weekend. We'll talk about that game in a minute. And then they didn't replace him. Uh, because I guess that didn't fit into their overall strategy. But I feel like a franchise that's hyper-focused on winning would have gone out. You just lost the best center forward in the league. You would have tried to make some big signing to replace him. And they didn't because, I don't know, I just feel like that's not how that franchise operates where they're hyper-focused on winning trophies. It's more a part of this larger network of shuffling players around. And and the fact that they've been successful is sort of a bonus, but it's not really, you know you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I just see NYCFC still as a way station. And I don't want a New York team to be a way station for anywhere. And I'm not saying that you can't develop players and players can't go on to other things. But when that is part of your strategy, as a New York team, I think I, I think that's problematic. And this is this is what in any other m league or scenario, a final between New York and L.A. 
would be something to salivate over. And yet, here we are with Philadelphia playing uh, L.A. And that, for a lot of people, including myself, is probably the preferred matchup. That shouldn't be. That, should, that shouldn't be. You are New York, okay? Act like L.A., <laughs> whether it's LAFC or, uh, or the L.A. Galaxy. I don't need New York acting like a small market type of team in any capacity, in any sport. Yeah, when they lost Castellanos, remember Luis Suarez was out there, and I mentioned on this podcast that I thought it made some sense for NYCFC to sign him. And then I kind of felt stupid right afterwards because in talking to different people, they said, no, that's not even a thing that they're thinking about. That's just not what they're about right now, that they're going to go and get a Luis Suarez midseason. But, you know, it's not that you can't be successful. And obviously, <laughs> you know, this team won MLS Cup last year. And, you know, as that was that moment, that three minute moment away from possibly going on to another MLS Cup. That that's not what I'm talking about. You can s certainly be successful. I'm talking about living up to what I expect from a super club relative to a city like New York, which is not what let's be honest, they or the Red Bulls have uh, have done. And it's by design. And don't ask me to be happy with it when you don't live up to that just because just because you're successful on the field. I think that if you are in New York, you need to be both successful on the field and sexy and doing big, bold, arrogant things because that's what I expect from anything in New York. All right, so NYCFC's title defense is over. It will be LAFC hosting Philadelphia Saturday on Fox. We'll be there covering that match. It's the first time since 2003, Chicago-San Jose, that you've had the number one seed in each conference battling an MLS Cup. Also, the first time since Seattle-Toronto in 2016 that we have an MLS Cup between two franchises that had never been there before. So, uh, really exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it this. It is. Thing. And we should, you know, the soccer gods, to a certain extent, have smiled upon us because this is a rarity, as you mentioned. Three times in the entire existence of MLS have we had both the number one seeds uh, actually play. Or third time. This is the third time and that's amazing. And it's been almost 20 years since uh, since it happened. And yeah, the structure of the league, uh, you know, can can help that out. But it just we know it. it you're, it's very difficult to parlay the success of a regular season into the, sec, the success of the postseason. And here we have an MLS Cup featuring the best two teams in Major League Soccer through the year. I think whoever wins this game on Saturday, which, by the way, you can see on Fox, whoever wins that game actually has a claim to possibly say that they are the best team, or I guess have the best overall season from start to finish in what, in what they have done. And they couldn't have approached this in any more drastically different ways in terms of their ethos and their philosophy as clubs. And that is on display too, where you, you know, the, the, the David and the Goliath, you know, the, the big versus the small, the, uh, um, you know, the big market that is LA and the glitz and glamour and the stardom that is LA and the celebrity and all that kind of stuff with the meat and potatoes and, uh, you know, worker mentality of uh, of uh, of Philadelphia. All of that is going to be part of the narrative into uh, into this sat into this Saturday's game, uh, and I can't wait. Now, I totally agree with the first point that you made. We've talked recently about this eternal debate between the Supporters Shield and MLS Cup, and which team has a better claim to have been the best in the league that season. Well, that goes out the window. I think even a Matt Doyle would acknowledge that 
with LAFC and Philadelphia having finished level on points. Philly had a much better goal difference. LAFC had more wins. That's the first tiebreaker. So they took the supporter shield. Okay, they have nothing to apologize for for that. But it was kind of a wash in the regular season between these two teams. So whoever wins this game, I think, has a 100% claim to having been the best team in the league. But when you are in the midst of the dog days of summer, Major League Soccer, and you have folks saying that this game doesn't count or there's nothing on the line here and you drop points here, or you have a bad game here, uh, remember that because it can come back to either haunt you or provide you with, in this case, the opportunity to host MLS Cup. And don't tell me for a second that LAFC hosting MLS Cup against Philadelphia is not an advantage. Now, is it going to play out? I mean, Philadelphia absolutely can beat LAFC, but Philadelphia would much rather play the game in Philadelphia. I mean, we saw why with the power and energy that happened uh, in uh, in Philadelphia, they're not going to be able to get that. And they're going to have to fly all the way across the country to Los Angeles into that cauldron uh, at uh, the bank. Right. And it is going to be it is going to be fun to see. And again, be a be thankful that we have something like this, because not all MLS Cups have been as exciting um, and I think rightfully and anticipated as this one. And they did play a great game in the regular season, May 7th, 2-2 at Bank of California. They also played that incredible game a couple of years ago, which was the last match we did before know, the pandemic. Amazing? Yeah, so there's some recent history there that would lead you to believe this is going to be an exciting final. And both of these coaches are are really interesting in and of themselves, uh, as are as I mentioned, the, you know, both of these clubs. And, and we'll you know we'll we'll talk much more about MLS Cup uh, in some coming episodes here. But uh, you know, I'll leave you with this: Steve Tarundolo came on the uh, State of the Union at the very beginning of the year, and the first question that I ever asked him was, "Why do you deserve this job?" You know, he could come off of, let's be honest, a <laughs> a forgettable and very unsuccessful stint with Las Vegas in terms of his first head coaching uh, situation, certainly uh, in the United States. And he was given this incredible gift and a lot of different interesting moves ultimately through the year, a little bit of a dip, but ultimately he came good in the regular season and in the postseason has come good. And if you were to cap it off with an MLS Cup, um, you're looking at, you know, we're coming into November, December and the and the World Cup. And who knows if Greg Berlthalter is going to continue on uh, when you're talking about both of these coaches. I think that they will absolutely be on the on the list. And, and Jim Curtin just continues to do it year after year after year with less, by the way, than others. Much less. And that segues us perfectly into Europe because another coach that people have been talking about as a potential successor to Berhalter with the national team is Jesse Marsh. Yep. Um, he was in big trouble at Leeds, but had a phenomenal victory uh, this past weekend as we begin our European review in the Premier League. Leeds uh, 2-1 winners over Liverpool at Anfield. They got a gift early. Joe Gomez misplaced pass. Rodrigo pounces 1-0, but then Salah equalized uh, minutes later, and, and you had a lot of time to play, so you figured, oh, Liverpool are going to push on here and win this game, but Leeds held out until the end, and just when I thought, wow, they're going to get out of here with a point, they did even better than that. Right. Somerville with a late goal, 2-1 Leeds, Jesse going nuts, he lives to fight another day. How excited were you for this result? I was so excited, and I think a lot of people were excited, and I, I care about Leeds, okay? And, you know, uh, other than you know, Leeds has kind of lived long in, you know, 70s and 80s culture. It was one of the first teams that was actually branded over in the U.S. that came on my radar and consciousness. But it's not like I follow Leeds or let's be honest, care about them 
you know, when the guy was sitting on the bucket, that was kind of cool every once in a while to see that. But the reality is I, I don't care about leads or I didn't care about leads until now. And why do I care about leads? Because, you know, somebody asked me that on, uh, on Twitter after this game. Why do you even care? Well, you know, I care because leads is an EPL team, okay, that is coached by an American. By the way, an American who is under fire and had that not gone well this weekend, there's, there's absolutely every chance that he would have been fired. This is a Leeds team that is starting two American U.S. men's national team players that absolutely are going to be on the field in Tyler Adams and, and Brendan Aronson. Oh, and by the way, three former MLS players on the field. And this is a Leeds team that just beat Liverpool away. So, yeah, I'm an American, and it makes me happy, and it makes me proud of my country that this happened, and that it happened to good people like Jesse Marsh, like Brendan Aronson, like Tyler Adams. Now, they live to fight another day. Jesse Marsh may eventually get fired, okay? But in this moment, sing while you're winning, right? And... Stuff will happen tomorrow, but I'm going to dance right now for my countrymen who are having success in this league and in this environment and unprecedented success that hopefully is going to lead to more credibility and more acceptance and more opportunities on the field and off the field. So you're damn right I care. And by the way, Adams and Aronson both played well. Aronson hit the crossbar in the first half, so... Good stuff all around for the Americans. And this one, for Liverpool, their last two Premier League games, defeats to Nottingham Forest and Leeds. They are miles off the top, 15 points behind Arsenal, 13 behind City, and they're even digging a hole for themselves for top four. So they really got to get themselves sorted sooner. This season's going to be a disaster. Get it together, Klopp. I mean, look, he's not going anywhere. He's got incredible cachet. And, you know, it is interesting to... It's always interesting when, when personalities and characters that we have seen act a certain way in the good times, how they then act when things aren't so well. And, you know, Klopp is talking about, you have to really look at the whole season. It's not fair to judge us right now. You have to judge us in the whole, the whole season ultimately. No, that's not how the world works. That's not how, certainly not how sports work. I'm not going to wait until the end of the season and judge you. Yes, I will be judging you at the end of the season, but it doesn't preclude me from judging and everybody else judging you from a game-to-game -game basis when you play well. And in this case, when you don't play well for multiple games and you lose, with all due respect to Leeds, you lose to Leeds at home. Uh, Arsenal, 5-0 winners at home over Nottingham Forest. They had a little wobble lately in a home game against Forest this weekend was just what the doctor ordered. Uh, so they remain two points above City, atop the table. Martinelli scored an early goal, and then they did a nice thing. They, they all did this tribute to Pablo Mari, who's a defender who's on the books at Arsenal, but on loan with this Italian side, Monza. And he was involved in a terrible incident where he got stabbed in Milan. It's crazy. Uh, it looks like he's going to be okay. And so the Arsenal team more or less dedicated this victory to him, which was nice to see. Saka got injured. Uh, Reese Nelson comes on, and all he does is get two goals and an assist. So uh, happy times for Arsenal there. Um, and then Chelsea uh, were away to Brighton, which meant a homecoming for Graham Potter and Mark Cucurella. And it proved to be a disaster because they got hammered 4-1. Cucurella was awful. A couple of own goals. Uh, Graham Potter unveiled this lineup with Pulisic and Raheem Sterling as wingbacks. It did not work. 
Pulisic ineffective, as was the rest of the team. To be fair, he had a bad miss in the first half and then got subbed off uh, late in the game. Uh, so I don't know what to say about this one from a Chelsea perspective. <laughs> well, I guess glass half full, Pulisic started. Um, where and how he was employed was interesting, even though, I mean, it wasn't like he was playing right back. All right? He was all over the place and, and very very forward but ultimately this was a horrible performance by everybody um i guess the only thing that i could ex that, that I, I can use to excuse it was the horrible uniforms that they were the nudes that they were wearing out there which which were were they should never ever wear those again when i come to when i'm talking about chelsea but yeah i mean not a good look for chelsea and not a good look for christian pulisic who gets a start which is all great but in the start they they lose and they lose bad uh, next weekend, by the way, Chelsea host Arsenal. Huge game. We'll preview that in our second pot of the week here. Looking forward to it. Um, in Germany this weekend, this looked to be the weekend when Bayern were finally going to surge to the top of the table. They hammered mine 6-2, to two, and that put the pressure on Union Berlin, who had to beat Gladbach at home to stay in first place. And Union Berlin trailed for most of that match. They got an equalizer with about 10 minutes left and then scored a winner deep in stoppage time. 2-1 victory, so they remain one point above Bayern Munich in the standings. I think we both think they're just delaying the inevitable there. They are, but they're sticking around, hanging around, hanging around. Uh, Joe Scally started for Gladbach, played all 90 minutes, but the bad news for U.S. fans, PFOX started ineffective, subbed out around the 60th minute. That's now eight straight games without a goal, and he has just one in his last 12. He got a couple of assists here and there, which allowed people to try to preserve a positive narrative around him. But I think this was the weekend where a lot of people took a step back and said, actually, he hasn't been that good. And listen, so, I know I know he's doing it at a higher level than guys like Sargent and Pepe, two guys who, by the way, failed miserably in the Bundesliga. But nevertheless, a lot of the PFOC argument was, wouldn't you want a guy that's brimming with confidence and, and feeling good about himself? And that's not really the case right now, if we're being fair about it. Well, no, the argument is, wouldn't you want a guy that's scoring? Whenever we talk about these forwards, it's relative to them putting the damn ball in the net, okay? And so if that is what your argument is for PFOC, then why would you... He hasn't scored in eight games. And I, I, I don't understand that. Now, there are those that say, yes, but he provides a, a different look. And I am, I am one of those. Um, does it have to be PFOC? I don't know. But if your argument is always, well, this guy's scoring and this guy's scoring, or if your argument against a player is, well, he's not scoring, then if it's just about scoring goals, then PFOC shouldn't even be on the plane right now, okay? Because it's, he's not in form. He's not scoring. Now, I know I'm being a little flip and, and simplistic when it comes to this, but I, I just, in, in particular, and maybe you know, relative to anybody else or any other position, it's about scoring goals and if you're not scoring goals then don't make the argument <laughs> that he should or shouldn't be there relative to putting the ball in the back of the net uh in france this weekend psg beat tra 4-3 wild one at the parc de france messi and neymar put on an absolute show messi scored with an incredible strike and then had a beautiful assist to neymar who had a nice finish Neymar himself, in addition to that goal, had a nice assist to Carlos Soler and then had a highlight real play. I don't know if you saw this. There was a play in the second half where he dribbled past like four players and then had this incredible twirling pass to Mbappe, who it unfortunately, deserved. It deserved unfortunately to, right. the shot was saved. Otherwise, that would have been like goal of the year stuff. Um, 
Uh, conceding three goals to Tra, though, is something that you don't love if you're a PSG eh, fan. But, we're just going to score more than you. That's, but, uh, that's okay. But, but yeah, Mbappe did get on the score sheet from the penalty spot. So those three guys, their numbers are all bonkers this season. They're all flying going into the World Cup. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to play it up as a big four with Ronaldo. But, uh, you know, you look at Ronaldo's form versus these three. I mean, one of these is not like the other in terms of how they're entering the World Cup. Messi, though, I don't want to bury the lead here. Um he was in the news today. There's this English journalist, David Ornstein, who's very good, very reliable, writes for The Athletic, does like a news, news and notes column every week. And the first item uh, today was about Messi potentially going to enter Miami. According to Ornstein, there are three options on the table for Messi, whose contract with PSG runs out at the end of the season, um, extending with PSG, going back to Barcelona, or going to Inter Miami. And Ornstein says... Of all of those three options, the Inter Miami one right now is the likeliest. The talks are at an advanced stage, so 2023 we could already see Lionel Messi playing in MLS. Yeah, uh, you know, Mr. Ornstein coming out here, and this is the most kind of definitive, uh, and therefore I, I, I mean, social media. It's the world we live in today. So what is credible? I don't know, but you know, ultimately, this is as as clear an indication that at least the possibility exists of this uh, of this happening. And I, I think I'm here for it. You're here for it, especially in, you know, the, you know, the situation of where Messi is and coming off of what presumably is going to be his last World Cup, but also playing very, very well and playing almost free and heading into his golden years here with a beautiful and warm aura around him. So I still think that you can get an incredible player and you're going to have to pay for it here as opposed to uh, Ronaldo that is heading in the opposite. We, we, we didn't mention Ronaldo uh, earlier, but you, you did briefly hit upon him. Um, how do you solve a problem like Ronaldo, right? I mean, relative to, to Messi again. Just quick before we before we move on to the rest of the stuff, do you think that Cristiano Ronaldo is going to have a good World Cup, and do you think he will be with uh, uh, Manchester United come the uh, um, window in January? Uh, first off, I don't think he will have a good World Cup, and uh, secondly, I think it's quite possible he leaves in January. Quite possible, or yes or no? Don't give me a quite possible. I would lean yes. You don't think he has a good World Cup, and you think he leaves in January? How do you solve a problem like <laughs> Ronaldo? How do you hold a moonbeam in your hand? All right. All right. Here we go. All right. Uh, one more note. Sorry, I digress there. Go ahead. One more note before we leave France. Uh, we talked about all these U.S. injury problems. One player who was injured and seems to be getting healthy at the right time is Timothy Way. He made his first start of the season for Lille. They lost 1-0 to Lyon, but still seeing Timmy out there is it's good great. news for U.S. fans. We ventured to Spain where... Uh, Barcelona away to Valencia. No Yunus Musa. He was suspended due to yellow card accumulation, which is a shame. I would have wanted to see him play against Pedri and company. It would have been a good test for him. Uh, this match... <laughs> Should I just say, given what La Liga is, if you get a suspension, that's the one game that you... I mean, you want to play against Real... If you're not playing for Real Madrid or Barcelona, those are the two games that you actually want to play. So it sucks for Musa that the suspension came against the actual... One of the two teams that you actually want to play in La Liga. Uh, this looked to be headed for a nil-nil. And then in stoppage time, Rafinha floated a beautiful cross to Lewandowski with an acrobatic finish. So Barcelona took it 1-0, uh, which was a nice result for them coming off their European disappointment. Um, and they're now just one point behind Real Madrid in the La Liga standings because Real Madrid held to a 1-1 draw by uh, Girona. 
at the Santiago Bernabeu. Uh, controversy. Uh, Real Madrid leading 1-0 in the second half. Vinicius Jr. had scored a goal. And then a corner kick for Girona. Uh, it smacked off Marco Asensio's arm. Nothing called initially, but VAR reviewed it. They determined it was a penalty. Carlo Ancelotti not happy with that decision. That's how Girona equalized. And then even more controversy late. Uh, Rodrigo had seemingly scored a winner for Real Madrid, but it was ruled out because... I showed you the play. Yes, I saw it. Um, the referee determined that the goalkeeper had possession of it, so Rodrigo was not allowed to kick it out of his hand. And I'll give Ali Moreno credit on ESPN Deportes. He was all over this, uh, knew exactly the rules. And letter of the law, I guess that is the right decision. But even the Girona coach afterwards, Michel, who uh, came out and said, look, I guess letter of the law, you have to rule that out. But my conception of how the game should be, like that should be a goal. He even admitted it. I mean, what was your take on that play? My take is that <laughs> goalkeepers are protected at all costs. They are like Fabergé eggs relative to the game. And I, I, I get it. I, I understand. This is the one about possession, right? I mean, what's right. possession for a goalkeeper? And did they have possession? Do they have a finger on it? Do they have a fiber of their being that is even in the proximity of the ball and therefore equates to, uh, to possession? Yeah. I, I, who was the guy that uh, made the comment? Uh, uh, Michelle, or, or, Michelle, yeah. Michelle, I agree with Michelle in that I can't argue it relative to the letter of the law that exists right now, but I can argue that the law is BS. <laughs> in Italy, Napoli continue to roll uh, 4-0 winners over Sassuolo. Ossiman with a hat-trick, Varaschelli with a goal and two assists. They are now five points clear atop the table, and they're away to second place Atalanta next weekend. So that's another great game for us to preview in our second pot of the week. Looking forward to that. Uh, Napoli, yep. okay. I mean, well on their way to uh, Scudetto, okay. I mean, still a long way to go, but okay. There's there's things that can happen. Are they, because this is an incredible team right now, that it's flying, that seems really balanced and comfortable. Uh, where do you put them in terms of champions? I think they're a contender. I right? really do. Right? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, so I'm not crazy. Uh, and if they win the Scudetto, it'd be their first since 1990, the days of Maradona. Right. So what a story that would be. Uh, and we'll end in South America this weekend, uh, more precisely, Guayaquil, Ecuador, a city that you're quite fond well. of. Yes. The Copa Libertadores final took place on Saturday. Uh, all Brazilian affair. Flamengo defeated Atlético Paranaense 1-0. Uh, it was kind of interesting. This game was 0-0 late in the first half. And Atlético Paranaense had a center back sent off, Pedro Henrique, rightly so, for picking up a second yellow. They were going to sub on a center back, but they were so close to halftime that Scolari, their manager, decided, why don't we hold off? We don't want to burn, burn a substitution window. Don't burn window. A window. And right. sure enough, in first half stoppage time, Flamengo took advantage of there not being right. another center back on the field. So he got he got burned for it, but Jim Curtin didn't get burned for Alejandro Bordoya when he did the exact same thing at right. halftime. All right, got it. Uh, Gabi Gol scored, which is interesting. Flamengo have played in three Copa Libertadores finals since 2019. One, two, lost one. They've scored four goals across those three games. He has scored all four. He has been by far the best player in Brazilian domestic football over the last four years. His numbers dwarf anybody else. And yet a week from today, when Chichi announces the 26-man squad for the World Cup, I suspect there will be two Flamengo attacking players in there and neither of them will be him. It's going to be the other striker, Pedro, who finished as the top scorer in the Libertadores uh, this season, was voted the best player in the competition, and is a type of striker that fills a void in Brazil's squad more so than Gabigol. And then the playmaker, Everton Ribeiro, who provided the assist for Gabigol's goal this weekend, 
He's a guy who's benefiting from Philippe Coutinho's catastrophic form for Aston Villa this season. So I think he's going to get a spot over Coutinho. So you're going to see a couple of Flamengo players uh, in that World Cup squad, but it won't be Gabigol, which is interesting. Speaking of World Cups, uh, in Brazil, talk has already turned to the Club World Cup. And folks are already projecting a Flamengo-Real Madrid final. But I'm having to remind them, wait a minute, you might have to get past the Seattle Sounders yes, first. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the field is filling up. We already know five teams, Real Madrid, Flamengo, Seattle, Auckland City, who won the Oceania Champions League. And then uh, I think it's pronounced uh, Widad Casablanca, a Moroccan team that won the African Champions League. We still don't know where, right? We still don't know where. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm speculating about something I know nothing about right now. But never, never stop me. Yes. Uh, there continue to be strong rumblings about uh, the next edition taking place in the United States. And in recent editions, uh, it, the field has been six regional champions and the domestic league winner of the host nation. If they went by that, then this LAFC Ooh. Philadelphia MLS Cup is also Ooh. for a spot in the next Club World Cup. But I'm going to have to reach out to MLS so we can get some clarification wow. on that. Um, but nevertheless, I, I do look forward to the Club World Cup every year. I know others don't, but uh, it, we'll see. I mean, I've heard February, the Brazilian media thinks March. You're going to have to work around Real Madrid's Champions League right. knockout stage fixture. That's going to be really tricky how they're going to do this. Uh, but there continues to be talk about that taking place in the United States. And we have an MLS team in it in Seattle. And I think might perhaps have a second one, too. We'll see how that goes. Uh, educate me and the uh, the rest of the world here that doesn't know. Uh, Paranaense, right? Am I pronouncing it right? Yeah. Is that, am I pronouncing it right? Atlético Paranaense. Paranaense. Yeah. What's Paranaense mean? Is it is the name of the place? Yeah, it's uh, they're in the state of Paraná. So if you're there, okay. if you're from there, you're Paranaense. All right, cool. I'm not pronouncing that correctly. I know. <laughs> Your dad is laughing his ass off right nah, now. Nah, Let's, nah. Yes, it's okay. Uh, anything else, Mossy? Uh, no, that's it. All right. Uh, we'll take a, another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that point of the show where you uh, send us in your questions. Uh, or... Uh, you use our uh, State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 uh, Or you use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all our social media platforms. And again, our uh, handles are SOTU with Alexi. All right, I think we have some voicemail and some Twitter questions this week, right, Mossy? Yep, let's start with a voicemail. Hey, this is David calling from Atlanta, big fan of the show. I know this is the state of the union and not the state of Mexico, but my team, Pachuca, is playing in the Liga MX final against Toluca. I'm very upset with the team in terms of the prices for the final match. It's priced at 1,700 pesos. That's about 85 U.S. dollars. And that is extremely expensive for a typical resident of Pachuca. It would make sense for a, price, for a high price in cities like Mexico City, Monterrey, Guadalajara, where there's higher economic activity, but that price range is very elevated for a, a typical Pachuca um, fan. 
it's a very working class team. So I'd like to know what your thoughts are on um, ticket prices. I don't know how pricing works um, in Europe for teams that are, you know, more working class and, and, and smaller fan bases. I'm so happy that they're at the final. But with that sort of pricing, we've been criticized because our stadium has very low attendance, and many fans have cited that the tickets are just too expensive for them. Thanks so much, and have a great day. All right. Well, thank you, David. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, this is an evergreen type of topic, and you know, I know you're, it's specific to where you're talking about, um, but every country and every city and every market and every team recognizes that you know, it's actually a skill and an art in terms of setting price. And sometimes they get it right, and sometimes they don't. Ultimately, um, whether you're talking about Liga MX or anybody else, uh, this is a business, all right? This is not a charity. And in a capitalist type of situation, you are going to balance wanting a good environment in your stadium, which in and of itself has a economic value, with <laughs> maximizing the opportunity that you have, which is you know that sweet spot of the ticket price makes you money and enough money where you're comfortable from a business perspective, but also creates an effect that people are in your stadium. It doesn't always work like that, and I think that's what you're talking uh, talking about here. But we talk about it uh, we talk about it over here, and when it comes to different markets, you got to understand your market. And again, this is this is not a charity, but I think sports teams in general recognize that they are an extension of the community. And what happens in their games and the environment that is creative is a reflection of their of their culture and, like I said, of their community. And to the extent that you can, you know, marry the two, that is the business and I guess the the community or social responsibility that you have, that's the sweet spot. But it's not always attainable. And we've seen it with the United States Soccer Federation at times. Sometimes you have to adjust and impact and affect behavior when it comes to buying tickets. And so sometimes you have to go through situations where you purposely set it above in the past in order to establish a new norm. You know, all of that doesn't change the fact that there's certain people that are going to be priced out. And in an, an ideal world, would you not want that to happen? Yeah. But again, that's a charitable type of situation as opposed to harsh business realities and decisions that ultimately have to be made for the moment and for the future. Because if somebody buys a ticket at a certain price, they are going to expect that price on a continual basis. And until you actually force them to alter their behavior and alter what they feel is the norm, it's very, you know, they are going to expect that and if and when you change it, there is going to be what we talk about sticker shop, st sticker shop, and if shock, excuse me. And if you are not smart and learned and skilled and understand your market, that sticker shock is going to lead to either less money or less people coming, or it's going to be that momentary shock, and then they adjust and they accept that uh, that new norm. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what the ultimately the uh, the situation was with Pachuca and the Toluca uh, games games there. But you want your final to be sold out. You want it in terms of what it represents and the message ultimately that it sends. But you also don't want to paper the house because that 
again, can cause problems directly or indirectly in the moment and or the future. Anything else, Mossy? Well, to anybody that can't afford to go to a game, all I would say is maybe you should have worked a little harder. Oh, wow. Look at you, Mossy, coming in. No, coming but, in. But just to let people know what occurred in that final that he alluded to, uh, Pachuca made easy work of Toluca. They won 8-2 on aggregate, 5-1 in the first leg, 3-1 in the second. So they are your League MX champions, their seventh title, first since 2016 when they were led by young Chucky Lozano. This time around, they had... Uh, Nicolas Ibanez leading the line, which I've been thinking about this lately. The same way that Argentinian number 10s have kind of found a home in MLS over the years, it's a similar dynamic with these sort of journeyman Argentinian center forwards in Liga MX. You have all these guys like Nicolas Ibanez, Julio Fuch, Rogelio Funes Mori, Juan Dineno. They're all kind of the same profile and they, they all seem to thrive in Liga MX. Uh, so congratulations to Pachuca. Congratulations. Um, another voicemail. Hi, Alexi Mossy. This is Keith from Hendersonville, North Carolina. Just listen to your podcast about the winger and striker position for the U.S. men's national team, which got me thinking a little bit. So I went back and looked at the goals that were scored by the men's team starting from January 2021 up to the present. Uh, out of 31 goals, only nine of them were scored by the number nine position, uh, which got me thinking is this a position that we should really be that concerned about if only 29% of our goals are coming from that one position when you're looking at, you know, who we have to score, you know, both at the defensive side of the ball, uh, midfield and wingers as well. So I was just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Is this number nine position uh, something that we should really be concerning, be concerned about given the lack of production from there and the, uh, large production from other areas on the field. Love your show. Uh, curious to hear what you have All to right, say. All right. Thank you, Keith. Uh, nerd alert, Mossy. Uh, he went and uh, did some calculations there. I do appreciate the work that Keith uh, did. Uh, is it that it's, I think he, uh, he came up with 29% of the goals um, are actually scored by our strikers or our forwards up there. Um, okay, I get it. But yeah, we do want somebody up there for a number of different reasons. That the wealth is being spread, fine. Okay, but in general, that position is someone that I want putting the fear of God into the opposition. And we, we don't have that. And where does that fear come from? You know, when it comes to Erlen Holland, for example, you're worried about all the different ways that he can put the ball in the back of the net. And unfortunately, the U.S. has not had that now for a number of years. And it doesn't look like that they are going to have that going forward. If this was by design, if Greg Berhalter had said, you know what, we're not going to worry about that position. And as a matter of fact, we're going to do everything we can to spread it out. So every single player out there isn't in double digits when it comes to scoring. They're just everyone's scoring five to eight types of goals. And in, tot in totality, uh, when you add it all up, we got enough goals to cover everything that's going on. Yeah. In, in a void, that sounds good, but the benefit that you have from somebody who is consistently scoring goals is that that person takes a lot of attention and frees up a lot uh, from others, uh, others out there. So I appreciate the calculation here. Um, I don't think it, that it's telling us anything that we don't know, and I don't think that it should be telling us that we shouldn't worry. Uh, that there is nobody up top scoring the goals. I hope, if it's Jesus Ferrer, for example, 
I hope that not only is is he being dangerous up there, but he's in, being dangerous in the form of uh, of scoring goals. Mossy, anything? Uh, well, the only thing I'll say is everybody loves to bring up the Olivier Giroud example from the last World Cup. He started up front for France, scored zero goals, and they still went on to win the tournament. So it can be done. But, but he is a goal scorer still, okay? I mean, maybe not par excellence when it comes to uh, the, the best in the world, but he still is up there to score goals, even though in that capacity, in that moment, he didn't. He's actually about to overtake Thierry Henry as their all-time leading scorer. There you uh, go. To your point. There you go. Listen, we haven't done uh, a bunch of Twitter questions or, or, uh, over the last couple of weeks, so I wanted to throw a couple in here. So what do we got first, Mossy? All right. Uh, first up, uh, USMNT versus haters. <laughs> okay. Uh, with the news about a potential team in San Diego, how many MLS teams does it take to force the league to adopt a relegation system? At some point, we're going to have too many teams in the league. Uh, well, I don't think that we're going to have too many teams in the league, and I don't know if we can have too many teams in the league. Uh, there can't be too many teams, I think, in the MLS portfolio in a country our size. If there is ownership out there, either single or multiple ownership out there with enough money and with enough vision and with enough, let's be honest, power to bring MLS into a new market, why wouldn't or why would you ever want to stop that if you are MLS? Um, but I will say that a intra-MLS pro-rel scenario, you know, a, a, la, a la MLS 1 and MLS 2, I think as you get into the 32 teams, it should be considered. But the problem remains. It doesn't change, even if it's an intra-MLS uh, pro-rel thing. It do, it, the evergreen problem is that you still have to convince owners to voluntarily change and add uh, risk. You know, So how do you convince an owner who's paid, at this point, a lot of money right, to buy into a league that mitigates the risk of relegation to voluntarily accept to add it. Even in intra-MLS, nobody is going to want to be in MLS 2. And I'm not saying they can't be successful. I'm not saying they can't, uh, you know, have be popular. But that's, I think, the problem. But I do think that when we get into the 32 teams, realignment or a different type of structure relative to the size is going to have to be uh, have to be looked at, but um, it's 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 going to be interesting going forward because this league was founded on not making the same mistakes of the NASL, and part of that was it expanded too much and too quickly. However, I think we were in a very very different time, and I think that MLS is going to continue to expand, and as it does, I think it will look for creative and different ways to structure the league and whether it's with conferences or whether it's with a intra MLS intra MLS promotional relegation type of thing they'll do that but keep in mind that you know the the zealots that are that are out there the pro rel zealots out there they they look at that as a bastardized version of of pro rel and so they're not going to be satisfied until <laughs> they burn everything down and start anew and everybody gets to you know, live in the house that you own and built for free. Uh, and finally, one more Twitter question. Uh, Brock E says, feel like Thomas Dooley doesn't get oh. mentioned enough. <laughs> Thomas Dooley, I love it. 
What was he like playing with in 94? Did he influence you as a player at all? What a wonderful, kind, gentle man. Uh, and he came into a team. We were all very young and literally young, but also very naive. And this was a, I mean, this was a battle-hardened type of guy who came into the U.S. national team. And look, he, like a lot of dual nationals, recognized that this was his pathway into a national team and obviously a, a World Cup. And there was, there was no resentment at all. We didn't begrudge that because, as a matter of fact, he came in, he made us better, and he was part of the group immediately. And he was this incredible, you know, even though it, at times he had already played years and years in the Bundesliga and much more as a kind of a, a center back defender, he came in as a much more defensive midfielder for us. And in the same way that, well, not the exact same way, but in, in the way that Weston McKinney kind of ghosts forward now, Thomas Dooley was incredible at ghosting out of the midfield where nobody could track him or see him and just arriving in the box late and being really, really difficult uh, and valuable in an attacking capacity. But also, man, oh man, when that guy tackled you, you and your ancestors felt it. And it was it was. All. Uh, quick Thomas Dooley story. In the 95 Copa America, we were down in Paysandu, Uruguay, where we set up camp. And, and at one point, Thomas Dooley goes out and he comes in contact with somebody who is selling a vintage, and I'm talking like Model T-ish type of era uh, car. And it was in mothballs and everything like that. And he goes and, and he goes out and he sees this person in Uruguay that's selling this car. And he buys this car and has it shipped back to the United States. True story. True story. It was amazing, the stuff that went on during that, uh, that Copa America. And uh, if you ever get a chance to sit down with him, he's, he, he, he's, a, he's a funny dude. And man, oh man, you, you want him on your team because he would run through a wall with you. Wonderful, wonderful uh, servant of the game and uh, just a wonderful friend and teammate. The great Thomas Dooley. Good question there, Brock. I appreciate it. Was that before or after your semifinal defeat to Brazil in that tournament? Oh, yes. You had to bring it up. All roads lead back and through Although Brazil. Although Brazil subsequently lost to Uruguay on penalties in the finals. Yes, and... exactly. Exactly. All right. Anything else? That's it. Okay. Let's take another quick break. And when we come back, I'll give you my one for the road. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches all right, welcome back. It is the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road, and some congratulations are in order, Mossy. Uh, congratulations to the entire organization up there in Portland. Uh, the Portland Thorns, your 2022 NWSL champions after winning 2 nothing against uh, Kansas City Current, who were not expected to be there, so congratulations to them on even making the final 2 nothing league MVP Sophia Smith got the opener in front of a sold-out crowd in the uh, neutral site there in D.C. It was fun to watch on national television, and uh, ultimately, like I said, um, Portland uh, prevailed. It goes without saying that this has been an interesting and at times difficult year for uh, the NWSL and for women's soccer in general. 
and that they finish it off on a high note on national television in front of a big crowd uh, and with a worthy champion uh, is a good thing. I hope and pray that we are heading towards a, uh, a situation and a moment and a future where we can continue to talk about how great the product is on the field, how exciting this uh, league is, and how much progress that it is making. Um, I don't know about you, but at, at times it's exhausting, the NWSL, with all of the different things that are happening, with all of the problems that they have had uh, off the field. Sometimes they can't get out of their own way. I know that efforts are being made to fix and adjust and progress and to move on in a better type of environment uh, on and off the field for uh, for these women and for this league and for women's sports uh, and women's soccer in particular is what we're talking about here. And the quicker, the better. Because as I said, you know, I want to love this league. This is my league. At times, I'll be honest, it, it, it's difficult with all of the clutter and all of the stuff that is going on. And that's not to say that it, that it should be ignored. But the reality is that this is a professional sports league. And ultimately, I want to celebrate and I want to champion and I want to praise and I want to be awed and entertained by this league and everything that happens on the field. And yes, to a certain extent, everything that happens off the field in terms of the positive nature of growing the game, not just the women's game, but growing the game and my league when it comes to uh, women's soccer going forward. And so here's to a better future. Um, and here's to a league that continues to grow. And even with all the trials and tribulations and the difficulties uh, this year that NWSL has faced, there are a lot of wonderful stories and a lot of positive that has come out of uh, this year and a lot of growth relative to this business and this fledgling business that all professional soccer leagues have been and continue to be. And, you know, continue to push that boulder that we talk uh, that we talk about out there. And NWSL, like any other league out there, needs as much help as it can get. It needs as many champions as possible and it needs as much support as possible. And anything that is turning people off, anything that is making it exhausting to care about or to follow is a problem. And so here's to getting rid of all those things and going forward in a uh, in a positive way. And so another NWSL season in the books. And that in and of itself is is a success given some of the uh the past failures and the past leagues that have gone out of business. This is not going out of business is I think and I hope is going to continue to get bigger and better as we continue on forward. And I would just add one last thing. Sure. Um I mentioned the men's Copa Libertadores final. We also had the women's uh final this past uh Friday, the Copa Libertadores Femenina. Palmeiras of Brazil beat Boca Juniors 4-1. to one. So congratulations to them. So big women's Whoa, soccer stuff going surprise. on. What a surprise that you uh, finish off with another Brazilian nugget there. <laughs> it's <laughs> wonderful. But before I let you go, Masi, real quick. Um, we are, as we said, less than three weeks before it starts and three weeks before the U.S. takes on, uh, on Wales from the day that we were recording to the, on this Monday, October 31st. Are you still going with Argentina as your pick? Yes, I am. If I gave you the opportunity to change it right now, would you change it? 
No. Okay. I think it'll be either Argentina or Brazil, and I slightly lean Argentina. Really? Okay. I am going with Brazil. Well, you got something to say? A week from today, when we tape our podcast uh, next, I mean, we're going to do a second one this week, but then when we tape the one next uh, Monday, although it might be Tuesday, because we're figuring it out. It'll be out for folks, though. Nevertheless. We'll figure uh, out a way to get it to you. Brazil will have named their World Cup squad, so we'll have that to discuss. I'm sure I'll have some thoughts on that. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for downloading and uh, reviewing and rating and doing all the different things that uh, you do out there on all the different platforms that we have. We're, we're, we're doing good things, Mossy, uh, in terms of the people that are listening and the people that are watching. And we can't thank you enough for uh, the time that you uh, spend here with the State of the Union. We will talk to you again next week. Uh, happy Halloween out there to everybody out there. Hope everybody has a good Halloween. And until next week, uh, and as always, size the day. Size the day.